please help me welcome Ira. Hi, everyone. My name is Ira, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And it's great to be here. I had uh, third time's a charm. I've been called twice. One time I didn't make it uh, because of a work thing, and the second time I didn't make it because I forgot. You know. Um, but I'm glad to be here. Really am. Uh, to qualify, I've been abstaining continuously since September 7th of 1983. So March 7th, well, April 7th was, uh, well, tomorrow actually is, is, if I make it one day at a time, is 18 years, seven months. And my high weight was 325, and I'm uh, less than 5'7". And uh, so uh, I lost and maintained about 150-pound weight loss for about 10 or 11 years. When my life got full and I couldn't get to the gym every day and I started actually paying attention to the relationship I was in in a career, I become more sedentary. I'm, I'm actually a music arranger. That's what I do. And so I gained about 20 pounds, but it's, it's coming off. Um, actually, my food, also I got older. So I've been maintaining about around 135-pound weight loss now for, for the, you know, I lost the weight. And I think it, it's, val- it's of value to talk about it. Um, I had, I've never been without a sponsor. And, uh, you know, you hear it's about the food. It isn't about the food. He said something very intelligent to me once. He said, it's about whatever's in front of you. If you're eating like crazy, it's about the food. And, you know, one of the things that, like, like, uh, what's the story in Stars? Stars don't fall. I forget which story in the big book where she says, I have become such a master at kidding myself. You know, um, I did not bring a big book. I could thump that if I felt like it, you know, but... uh, um, you know, everybody's getting crazy now because in the fourth edition, 449 is now 417. So you, know, you can't even, I don't know what's on 449, but uh, I also like that we are not a glum lot. And there are people in here that say, oh, except for me, you know, um, uh, I was very angry. I identified with, with that um, when I came in. Uh, I don't think that one is a hundred pounder and doesn't, it's not angry. And there's a lot of people. And oh, I'm also sober the same amount of time. And the way I like to describe it is that the alcoholic part of me is the kind that will get in somebody's face and argue and shout and scream and, you know, put my fist through a door. The overeater part of me is the kind that will look at you if I totally disagree with you or don't like you and smile and aren't you sweet and loving and then turn around to everybody else and say what a bastard I think you are, you know, but never tell you. And that kind of stuff, I think, has really been damaging to me. Um, It's interesting. I got a call from a guy I used to sponsor today who was uncomfortable and um, uh, let's see how, how can I share this thing and make it of use because that's why we're here um, he hadn't been calling me because he was supposed to share writing with me or he had had writing and volunteered called me up and and I, I'm pretty busy. I, uh, I'm a music arranger in the film business and a successful one. It was because of the steps of this program that I learned how to get along with people, at least reasonably. Um, so my time, and I don't manage it all that well, but my time is, is of value. And he called up and made an appointment to have, so we met for dinner and he forgot his writing. Cool, you know. Second time he said, well, I'll meet you at a meeting. And my home meeting is the Wednesday night 100-pounders meeting in the, in, in the valley. And um, he didn't show up. Then he called me up a, a third time. 
you know, I said, you, where were you? He says, well, I didn't say I was going to be at the meeting. I said, look, I said, if the whole thing with this is, is if, if, if it was important to you, you make it. And he got sort of indignant and all that kind of thing. And I said, look, it's up to you. Do you want this? Fine. Well, he made a third appointment. And then I find then he called me up, left a message to the effect of, well, his his baby son was sick and he wasn't going to make it. And that was last I heard from him. So he called today saying he's been uncomfortable and he's got to work this program and this, that and the other thing. And I said, well, I said, I haven't changed. I said, if you want to do it, let's, you know, if, if you can't do it with me, find somebody else. You need to you need to find somebody you're willing to do this with. You know, I, I, I don't have the time. I've got people that are working their butts off in this thing. You know, and I don't have, it's not that I don't want to help, and it's not that I'm trying to be angry. And this is a growth thing for me to be able to say this stuff without sounding like a Dutch uncle. But I don't have the time to do this. It's up to you. He said, okay, thanks. Goodbye. I think he wanted me to apologize to him. Now, what I've learned is there's a difference between apology and making amends. And what I also learned in this program is about my behavior. It starts with the food. I had my, my AA sponsor used to, I've also been sober the same amount of time, like I said, used to talk about it's your behavior, Ira. It's your behavior. I can feel like, you know, like, and, and people talk a lot in here about feelings. I mean, I don't know what the heck a feeling was. Feeling was something that you ate over. But then again, not having a feeling is something I ate over, too, you know. And people will talk about working through their feelings. You know, and I've done several fourth steps which some people, according to Clancy, maybe it's like all ten steps except for the first one. But, but um, uh, I've done, you know, a bunch of writing, and I don't write as much as maybe I should. Um, there was a time when for three years in a row, uh, no, two and a half years, I was writing a ten step every night. And my sponsor at that time was a guy named Sam D. And Sam finally said, I really can stop writing now. I said, why is that? He said, because you're writing the same thing now for the last six months, you know. It's like, you know. But see, like part of my thing is I'm a people pleaser. I want approval, you know. So like I wanted you guys to know how right I do this program, you know. And what I have found out is, is that there's that old saying, I met the enemy and he's me. You know, what I have to overcome in this with all the steps is me. The book, the book talks about it. It's interesting. I was reading, I'm reading uh, one of the disciplines that I had was given. And first of all, it, I've never been without a sponsor. Ever. Because in the AA 12 and 12, it says uh, going alone in spiritual matters is extremely dangerous. And that, like, I can be beset by my own rationalization. You know, I need people to check it out with. I need people to be accountable to. I don't know what God looks like. I was pretty agnostic when I came in. But um, what I have learned in my 11-step um, journey, which started here, you know, I was typical, a religious Jew, you know, like I grew up in a real secular household, uh, very angry father, and I came back to it. I've uh, for the last few years I've been going to the Kabbalah Center, and uh, along the way, for four years I chanted Nietzsche and Shoshu Buddhism, all abstaining, Nam Yoho Rengekyo, abstaining, and and I've learned. You know, the thing about spirituality is a simple thing, but it's not easy for me to do. And how it works is like this for me. Again, it's my own stuff. The reason that I overate. 
the reason that, I mean, I overate because I'm a compulsive overeater and I love food is because basically I'm a self-obsessed person who wants what he wants, and when I don't get it, I stamp my feet. And if that doesn't get it, I try and destroy everything around me until I get what I think I want. What the spiritual change is, is it says, instead of that, how about helping somebody else? Because when, you feel, when you're selfish, you feel miserable. The paradox is, is that I like feeling miserable because it confirms my identity, identity about me. I like it. I like to feel bad. You know, in the hope that if I feel bad enough, somebody will come over. What's wrong, Ira? Look, and I'll tell you what's wrong. You know, and then, see, I've put it on somebody else, see. And so what spirituality is, or connecting with God, is to be a part of this universe, a contributing, like another way of alcoholics say it, is a contributing member of society. Something where I do that. Why do you think we talk about service? Have you ever noticed, like in, in some of the larger AA meetings, I used to attend a couple of men's stags, there's like almost a fight to do the service. In a way, it's like, and somebody volunteers every, not because they're really qualified, it's, oh, at least I won't have to do it, you know. And that's a bad attitude. That's a bad attitude. And doing service for the wrong reason is a bad attitude. It, it, it will get me in trouble too. And again, it's the same thing. And a book talks about it all the time. Uh, right after in step three in the big book, and I strongly recommend those of you who don't know that part, of that's the, the part immediately after the steps, where it says being convinced we were up at step three, what does that mean? The only reason I know this stuff is one of the things I was told is to read two pages a day of the book, reread it, put it down as a discipline. When you finish that, do the AA 12 and 12. Then actually, uh, I even got into the OA 12 and 12, like reading the big book, reading the 12. Now after 18 and a half years, it's been several, you know, and I've read the book not necessarily for entertainment, but I have read it in larger amounts than that. But you get to see this stuff if you keep rereading it. And uh, I, even got the, I was one of the people that I strongly was against when I was... I had been World Service Delegate from the Valley for eight years, you know, two four-year terms. And um, um, it's a circus, you know. But... The thing about the OA Overeaters Anonymous came up in the book and all that stuff. And the 12 traditions. I was really against an OA 12 and 12 because I was brought up on the AA stuff. And, and it seemed to me that that was simpler. And we try to make nice all the time in here and the message gets clouded. My thinking has changed. I, I started reading. But from experiences, that if that book has helped one overeater recover, it was worth publishing. That's not the way I felt. You know? Here's the thing about why, for instance, I can't talk about my food in an AA meeting or talk to you about my drinking experiences here is the 12th step. See, if I'm going to recover, and I was just reading that part of it in Bill's story, if I, if, in order to recover, it says, when all else fails, work with another alcoholic will save the day. Many times I've, you know, entered the hospital depressed and walked in and, helped lift the man up and it lifted my spirits and once again I was saved from drinking. That if I'm a compulsive overeater, a true compulsive overeater, and I am one, I've had to lose over 100 pounds three times in my life. Um, the only way that I will ultimately be relieved of compulsive overeating is to help who? Another compulsive overeater. Not help at my church necessarily. This has nothing to do with being a good person 
If it's a disease, according to the book, and I believe the book, the only way I'm going to recover is to help another compulsive overeater. So the only reason, like I'm a secretary, we started a whole big, big book study in Woodland Hills on Monday nights. I used to be involved in intergroup ser uh, service. Uh, come back. Come back. I won't throw, you know, any. Um, uh, the only reason I'm not involved with it at this time is, is time. I sponsor about six guys. I have a sponsor. I still call my food in every day. And not nobody has ever approved or disapproved of what I'm eating. Actually, for me, most of the time when I am worried about something, after they stop laughing, they, they you know, say, you know, it's like, are you okay with that? Um, so I do, I do the best I can. And my life has grown incredibly. And every problem in my life, uh, has been lifted. My, uh, the way I, it was explained to me is, is it, and you can't see this for the tape, but if my life is going like this, I must be doing the right thing. I've got bigger, I got bigger problems. When I first came to L.A., it was a big deal to pay 160 bucks a month rent. And now, I mean, I live in a beautiful place, and I met my wife, my current wife. Uh, I went through a divorce in this program. I, I dated this. I actually got a sense of self uh, of acceptance with women in this program. Some appropriate, some not appropriate. I met my soulmate in this program. She was the um, literature person at the Friday night OA meeting in Reseda. And so service is its own reward. You know. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and she's my soulmate. And we, we try to be an example. We were asked at the birthday party a couple of years ago to do a relationship thing, the two of us. And, and some people still call us and remember what we were talking about. Because that, that's not easy. You know, I mean, I have to stay out of her food. She has to stay out of mine, although she doesn't know it. Um, um, but the idea, again, is if I'm not coming from self, then I don't have to react. What does this have to do with the steps? This is all the stuff that I ate over. All of the anger, all of this, I'm not getting my way. All of, well, you know, they don't like me. I heard somebody talk about, well, people are judging me. Now, this is what I found out about people judging me. People don't judge. People, everybody judges. So what? You see, if I expect the world to, here's the problem. If I'm eating and why I abstain, the bottom line of why I abstain. If I'm eating, I am a slave to or in bondage to all of that stuff that's bothering me. I'm a slave to the person who doesn't call. I'm a slave to the company who, who uh, didn't send the check on time. You know, I feel miserable until they change. So I'm screwed. If I'm abstinent, I got a chance, it may be a small chance, to find a solution that's outside of that. I don't look for God when I'm eating because food's the God. You know, and... and you know, that's, we talk about that God, we are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. What I want of the three is free. I never thought about that until lately. I want to be free. And what that means is, is that means I can come and go and do what I believe to be right without constantly being afraid. I don't want to be afraid. Most of the anger that I had was because I was afraid. And because I felt real guilty that I wasn't good enough. Like the example being, why do, why do I, 
and I wouldn't have known this without the writing, like for instance, I'll sometimes uh, leave late to get someplace on time. I'll make it on time, but the traffic will be, and I'll get nuts behind the wheel, you know, shouting at cars. Why am I doing that? I'm not really mad at them. I could care less about the car. Why? Because I left too late, and I'm afraid that if I don't get there on time, somebody's going to be mad at me, so I'm looking for the world, i.e. the Ventura Freeway, to change so that I'll be okay. And when it doesn't, I get mad. Now, the first way I had a, a spiritual teacher tell me, not of this program, that the only way to get any kind of real recovery from a situation is to accept it exactly as it is. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you ever read the big book. Somehow Dr. Paul said the same thing in a different way. So I have to accept that I'm a compulsive overeater. That's why the first step says we admitted we were powerless over food, not and, that our life, comma, that our life had become unmanageable. You know, I have to admit that. If I'm still uh, trying to negotiate food, I have not, to my innermost self, admitted that I can't manage it. If I'm talking about being deprived, I'm not admitting I can't manage it. Because if I can't manage it, it doesn't matter whether I feel deprived or not. Because I'm going to kill myself. You know, I sponsor a guy that's lost over 300 pounds. And he had to go yesterday to a uh, hematologist because he's very anemic. You know. Now he's doing it. He's facing it. God knows what he did. You know, I hope he's okay. You know, I'm, I'm just suspect he will be. But, you know, that's part of the price you pay. Do I want to go back? Heck no. I don't want to go back. That's why I'm here. That's why, like, like when I forgot about this meeting, I was involved with a whole bunch of stuff with uh, music. And Roy called me up and, and left a message. And he was, I called him back and said, of course, I'd like to share here. You know, he didn't know. He hasn't seen me. I'm not too good for this. I'm not too, you know, there's a saying, you can't be too dumb for this program. Sure as hell can be too smart. You know, so if you're, so stop negotiating your food. Stop it. I had an AA sponsor, Joe H., who used to say, when your head's going, you just stop. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. You know, I'm deprived. Well, I'm also short, you know. <laughs> you know. In other words, that's how I, I have to accept that. See, and what that means is I have to accept my limitations. I can't do everything. Now, there's another saying that I heard. We may, and I heard this in AA. We may be powerless, but that does not mean we're helpless. People get that confused, too. So if I'm saying, well, I'm eating and I'm eating, I'm eating, I guess that's where God wants me to be. Well, here's the thing. Generally, I found this out about God, and I, I can't debate the existence of God or what God is. Uh, I have changed. I, I do want to help and I want to be a part of this world, and I guess that must be a spiritual change. And people tell me that... Uh, They've seen my growth over, and I don't see myself. I mean, I only think about like what I'm lacking a lot of times, and I'm grateful a lot more of the time. But um, thoughts of God, the thoughts of the soul. I even had a spiritual teacher tell me the difference between when it's God and when it's my head. Now you can take this, you know, or not. But what he pointed out was that if you think about the concept of God, or what do we think of of heaven? Or we think of, you know, like what, what, where does God exist? It's always up. It's in the clouds. It's free. It's unlimited. It moves. It's like the wind. It's fast. So if I have a thought 
that comes through my head like that and it goes out the other, that's probably God. Like all of a sudden, you know, I could be working out, call your mother. And what was that? That's God. If it's going around and around in my head over and over again, it ain't God. Now, here's the, here's the thing about it. Whenever I come from a place of making decisions based on my head, usually in some way there's going to, it's going to generate chaos. There's going to be more craziness, even if it's the right thought. So that how do I get in touch with that? This is the interesting thing. Again, it's to stop reacting to it. Why do, why do I rush around in my head? Because I want to feel better. Is how many times have I heard, and I, I, I'm sure I was one of them, I've got to get this weight off. Well, if I'm trying to get the weight off and I've stopped eating, what's my hurry? What's, what's causing me to feel anxious? It isn't the weight's coming off. It's me. It's, again, it's a negative feeling about myself. Where did this stuff all come from? It comes from, like, reading the book, talking to other overeaters. I'm just one of you. That's why we're anonymous. Anonymity isn't about secrets, although some people unfortunately think that. Anonymity is, is that we are all equal, and the gift of anonymity is, is if it worked for me, it can work for you and vice versa. You know, unfortunately, the ego, me, my thoughts, my head, will say, no, in my case, it's different. He is better than me. And again, I've got to remember what my ego did. My ego got me up to three, 325. It got me out of, you know, like, I mean, it was the Vietnam War when I took an a Army physical, but like my blood pressure at the, at the day that I took my Army physical, and I was all of 21 years old, was 180 over 120, something like that. And they said, you can't go. And I had flat feet, and I, I couldn't see. And, you know, I, it's like... I felt lousy. And you know what I did? I celebrated and went to Saunders, which is, a, which is the biggest confectionery in the Detroit area, and had the, a triple hot fudge sundae because the fudge there is unbelievable. And then I really felt miserable. Why? I felt miserable because I, I felt bad about myself that I flunked the physical. And then I felt bad that I couldn't stop eating because I felt bad that I flunked the physical. See? So the idea, here's the, here's, here's the game. Stop thinking about me. Now, my ego doesn't want to stop. That's where it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. I don't want to stop thinking about me because I like thinking about me. <laughs> See? That's a problem. So all the steps, what's inventory about? What's turning it over? You know, I have to turn it over 12,000 times a day. Came to believe. It's like uh, the best way I've found about coming to believe is here's people... Very, this was great. This was explained to me by an alcoholic, although, like, I see it here. I remember going, I've gone to meetings in Overeaters Anonymous with some pretty whacked out people. People who would normally get into craziness and fights and jump, and occasionally you do see that. But here we all are, with all kinds of different backgrounds, actually being courteous and civil. It says, turn off your pager. So, normally... Oh, the hell with that. i got to get a message. It's so somebody actually goes out and turns it off. And, and the way this man said, he says, if that is not an example of sanity, being restored to sanity, I don't know what is. Because the kind of people we are, it's the hell with that. What about me? So the first place that there's an example of sanity is to come to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting where people are actually nice to each other most of the time. And all right, so now third step, turning it over. I had to write on every step. I have to take a third step 12,000 times a day. This is the third step. 
Should I have the extra sunflower seeds or not? There's a red light there. I got, I'm late. I've got to get through. Should I go through it or not? Sometimes I turn it over. Sometimes I don't. Am I going to say something? Am I going to make the call that I know that I shouldn't, but that I want to, to get reassurance or not? My wife wants me to pick up something. Oh, she's bugging me again. Do I go pick it up and take time out of my busy day or not? I'm going to have, let's see, I ate already. Uh, I know that I committed to have an apple, but I'm full. Do I have an apple knowing that I'm full or not? Because I committed it. You know, That's all third step stuff. Turning my will over is the choice that I make. See, what makes me unique, us unique, than other animals is, is we have the power to choose. We can decide. That's why it says made a decision. Turning my life over is the outcome. That's how I learned it. And, and how I had to write on a third step was examples of where I, in my life before, when I came, first came into program, and at the time that I wrote on this third step, uh, six to eight examples of how I turned my will over, how I didn't. How I turned my life over, how I didn't. And so it was, you know, about 39, 40 examples, something like that all together. And it was interesting to see it, you know. Because if I'm resisting inventory, what is it? Am I turning my will over? I don't want to do an inventory. I want to win the lotto and, you know, be taken care of. That's what I want. Only, like, what has happened, I guess, the spiritual awakening, the slow awakening is, is that I've come to see that maybe doing the work is, a good, is not only a good thing, but it can be enjoyable. Having the challenge. Why do I have to have these challenges? Because if I didn't have these challenges, I'd be at the next level. I wouldn't be here. I've learned that, too. So when rabbis or ministers say everything's a blessing and you're going through some really painful experience, now I understand the blessing of God it's the quickest way to, the, the biggest spiritual hit comes when I have to overcome something. At first, it's the eating. You know how great you feel. Like, you don't want to abstain. You don't want to abstain. You don't want to abstain. You finally agree to, to do something a sponsor says you abstain. How do you feel when you do it? You feel that sense of power. Or at least I did. That sense of, I'm, I'm, I'm making this. I can do this. And then, like, that's why we say one day at a time. One day becomes two. becomes a week. And then we have people like Zan here, you know, like people come before me and we're still abstaining. And that makes it possible. Now, now, having said all that, I can tell you that it's not difficult for me to share. Of course, like I have said this, I will go anywhere to hear me talk, you know. Um, but I was taught, and all I'm sharing with you is experience that people have shared with me. There is no authorities here. There are people who think that there are authorities, but there are no authorities here. Um... My purpose in sharing is not look at me, look at Ira. It's to let you know that the program of Overeaters Anonymous works. So when you take a candle, that's the purpose. To let everybody in the room, and, I, and when I uh, used to take candles, they would say, take candles all week, your birthday week. Go to as many meetings as you could. Take candles. What if I don't know the people? It doesn't matter. It's, you give them hope. And if I come from that same kind of giving consciousness, good will come from it. If I'm going there to get stroked, or if I'm going there, look at me, look at me. And it's, yeah, obviously, there are, in my psyche, there's elements of that. But, I mean, if the overriding consciousness is to give, to give hope, then, then good will come from it. On the other hand, if I'm looking, if, you know, and it and, and drives me crazy, people get up and say, geez, I don't know whether I should have taken this chip or not. 
And they say it like that. But, you know, I'm here and my sponsor told me to take this chip. You know, here's what I'd say is if you don't feel like taking it, don't take it. You know, but if you're going to take a chip, remember that the reason that you're taking it is to let everybody know that it's possible. And, and let me tell you, when I'm in that consciousness, I feel terrific. When I feel terrific, I don't want to overeat. You know, it's just that I'm so used to feeling miserable that when I feel terrific, I get scared that like that's not how I'm supposed to feel. You know, I don't want to be sick. I want to be well. I got five minutes. Um, let's see. Inventory, sharing it. You know, what most people are afraid of is not step four. The steps are separated for a reason. Step four is not sharing. Step five is sharing. With who? With God, myself, and another human being. The exact nature of my wrongs. You know, so, so that fourth column, what did I do? How did I get involved with it? How, you know, all that stuff. It's to show me where I am in, the, in, this, in this world. So the nature of my wrongs is generally, for me, self-centeredness, impatience, you know, all that stuff is a manifestation of the idea that I'm not thinking about anybody else. And what I learned, and, and there's, a, there's an interesting line in the book that I, I quote a lot, selfishness and self-centeredness, we believe, are the root of our problem. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-pity, and self-centeredness, we step on the toes of our fellows and they re retaliate. Even, if, even if, when it appears we've been hurt without cause, we find that at some time in the past we have invariably made a decision based on self which later put us in a position to be hurt. So we believe our troubles are of our own making. I don't like to hear that. And, and, you know, the argument is, well, when I was born, it wasn't my fault. And I had, I had a spot. My sponsor was great with that. So I used an example. It's, what about that lady a, a few years ago, like 1976, this, this old lady drove up on the sidewalk at Westwood on a Friday night and injured about 18 people. I said, what about the people that got injured? It wasn't their fault. He said, I didn't say anything about fault. But the truth is, they chose to be there. That's their part of it. It's not about fault. It's not about blame. It's about willing to accept the reality of, of my life. Now, listen, I, I, for the last three years, I've had to pay a huge amount of income tax. And what's been great is that uh, the way that my wife and I have been looking is, geez, look at the money I made so that I have to pay this much income tax. And it's been manageable, and I'm going to share something with you. It's like I'm going to work on a thing tonight right from here. I've got a meeting. It's, it's pressure. And um, I'll tell you how this program works. You get, you're helping others and you meet people. It's like I'm a music arranger and I, got, I had to get a computer sponsor. In 1995, I was out of work and I came from the same kind of family. If you can't do it perfectly, don't do it at all, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was out of work. And so I found a guy named Steve who told me exactly what to do with the computer. And I'm one of the few orchestrators now. I'm one of three or four guys that do everything on computer now. And my career has been steadily moving upward. And at one time, of all things, I had a telemarket. I, I mean, I was a telemarketer trying to sell candy to stores. And I was out of work. And that was a miserable time. And a uh, composer called me. And I suppose he was going to work on a movie. And I said I couldn't. It was a mistake. 
And uh, I ultimately later worked for that composer. Most recently, um, because, you see, part of the manifestation of this disease in my work has been that uh, I'll be insecure by trying to take over the conversation. Am I, is everything okay? Is everything okay? I learned to relax and just let my work speak for itself. So this man that I've arranged music for, for the first time, in 16 tries won an Oscar, off an arrangement that I worked on. Okay. And here's the thing. When I prayed, I prayed that he get it because he's a soulful guy. Not that I get it because it may mean nothing because I'm in the background. But he's a soulful, spiritual guy. And I was at the rehearsals and along the way I got to take my wife who was like wants to be Lucy if I'm busy, you know. Um, um, but she got to go with me to the Kodak Theater. We checked out the rehearsals and I was a part of it. I just, you know, he, he wanted me to down there. And this is what happens when you abstain. This would not have happened if I were 325. It may, it may have happened anyway. I can't say that. But, I mean, certainly my mindset when I'm 325 pounds is not the kind of person that's attractive to people. You know? I fight my bad feelings and, and try and fake it and then get angry. And I don't have to do that today. There is on the AA... Uh, medallions, the birthday medallions, and this is part of what all these steps are about in my mind. It says, you know, on one side is the triangle where it says unity, recovery, and service, and on the other is the Shakespearean quote to thine own self be true. I cannot be true to myself if I'm not abstaining because I'm lying to people then. So this whole thing is about being okay, being okay with me, and the 12th step, all the rest of them, including make a, making amends, is change in behavior. All of this is about being a part of this world, which you guys, I'm so, so very, very grateful for having given me over these many years. I have been abstaining now continuously a little, like I said, a little over 18 and a half years, and I'm a 100-pounder that's making it. In a decent relationship, doing the work I love doing, driving the car I like to drive. And I'm abstaining, and it all started with an OA meeting. Thanks for letting me share. Keep coming back. Um... Okay, you want me to open it? Open it for questions then. Yes. Okay. Um, you talked about don't negotiate Okay, the question is I talked about don't negotiate my food. Can I elaborate? What I mean is, is that, for instance, I find somebody who has what I want. Okay, and they say they are, whether they be a house sponsor or whatever. Because actually my sponsor is a hollow sponsor. And I've done that too. And they say, well, you know, the way I'm sponsored is no bread, no flour, no sugar. That's how my experience is. Negotiating would be, well, but you don't understand. I'm not willing to give that up yet. See, if I'm into the I'm not willing to give it up yet, what I'm, what I'm referring to is, is that I'm not surrendered. I'm still trying to run the show. And so I'll, chances are I'll get the same results. That's what I meant. Is if they say to, it's like, all right, officer, I'll come quietly. You know, that's that's a good way to look at it. So, all right, does that answer that? Okay. Anyone else? Yes, Gabriel. Uh, what are your thoughts on the words "go away"? How do, what does that mean to you? How do you work into your program? How does acceptance fall into that? Um, I went. I was told to go to my doctor to find out at the time, and at the time. Um, 
He said, for my height and body type, that somewhere between 170 and 175 would be good for me. And so, you know, I got into that. And, and I lost 114 pounds in the first 12 or 14 months of the program. And basically, sponsors were negotiating with me to eat more food. I was, you know, like I wouldn't eat a potato. I was walking around like I was dead. They say, you need some energy, you know. So, but I would listen to what they would say. I mean, sometimes grudgingly, but I would listen. So, um, and, you know, like I, like I said, I put on about 20 pounds. I'm, I'm taking it off from that. I used to weigh once a month. Uh, it got too crazy in the, in, in the house. They have a scale, so I weigh at the doctor's office. And like everything else, Gabriel, it's, it, for me, it's about self-acceptance. If I'm okay with me, it doesn't matter. Like, it's like the number becomes the God, you know. And, and we all have to go through what we go through. And I, I think, it, just as an aside, something that my wife said to me, which is, has been very helpful, she says, remember, Ira, that don't expect people who are just coming in to be where you're at. You know, this is over much time and much work in the program. So if you don't think, like there's this tendency to be real black and white. So I'm, if I say this works, well, I'm going to think that way too. And every time I tell myself I'm going to do this, it's like three hours later I'm, I'm dead. So, you know, it takes time. It takes time and experience. So, you know, you just got to give yourself a break. And I remember what Dr. Paul told me one time. He said, be good to yourself. I didn't know what he meant then. Now I know. Or now I think I know. So, anybody else? Yes. All right, the question is, how do I experience the sixth and seventh step? Um, it's the hardest, from, in my mind, those two steps are the hardest steps of the twelve. By a long shot. It's very interesting that step six is at the halfway mark. You know, um, and the issue is, and I went through like a, a hard thing. It's every character defect that I had when I came in, I still have. Some seem to have disappeared, but like what and some of some other things have come up. But what it is, is, is that I'm I uh, don't have to act on them. There is no place in the book that I know of that says that things will be removed permanently. Nothing says that they're removed permanently. So they come back. And, and the issue for me was, and always is with this stuff, is I think I've got to remove them. Is that I, it doesn't occur to me. What it says is, and this is the hardest part for me, is we're entirely ready to have God remove. I have never been really entirely ready to have God take it. I mean, maybe the food, like the, the way the AA 12 and 12 talks about, well, we had, we, we had it relieved of alcohol, so it could work in other areas. So sometimes I'm more ready than others. Interestingly enough, over time, as I've learned to become less self-centered, uh, a lot of stuff that I used to think of as character defects are not giving me a problem like they used to. So, and then the seventh step is interesting because the seventh step, what's the first word of the seventh step? Humbly, humility. Humility does not mean humiliation. Humility is, means an acceptance of reality. In other words, remember when I talked earlier about accepting that if I'm really connected to myself, I'm accepting my limitations. It's the willingness to do that. And, and in the book it says we had to quit playing God. This is the how and the why of it. So if, you've got, if you're plagued by character defects, 
here's the way it works for me, is those defects are going to pound me into the ground until I'm ready to say, okay, I'll stop it now. As, as someone said, if you're not humble, life will take you down anyway. You know, and I've seen that happen with many people in this program. I, I got a call about some craziness in, in the valley, and uh, thank God it ain't me. You know, I could just sit back and laugh and say, Jesus. You know. So, yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, always. Uh, uh, actually, my most consistent sponsor is Marty B., who's got about a year and a half more than I do. Uh, the only reason he uh, and I, it's not that we, we stopped having a relationship, is he was going out of town a lot. So I found other people as well. But uh, like he recurrently, he's, you know, the thing about Marty that's great is he reminds, he's, he looks a little bit like my father did. But he's like the father I never really had. He's 73 years old. And um, so, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, all my sponsors have had more time. Anyone else? Yes, Sam. You talked a little bit about uh, bad things being blessed. Can you talk more about really bad uh, Okay, well, um, well, the example, I, like when I said I had to sell can I mean, I was humiliated. I couldn't get work. I had worked for a major composer who was like basically using computer, you know, he was getting in electronics and I, I was lost. I had, um, uh, my first wife was, uh, we separated. At the time I came into Overeaters Namas, my relationship with my first wife was that we were like brother and sister. We were the greatest brother and sister act you ever saw. And we hadn't been intimate for about 12 years at the time I came in. I'm a passionate guy. And so there's something wrong with that picture. We ultimately separated and then divorced. She worked for an attorney. who because And I'm trying to be a good guy who did our settlement agreement. And me, as naive and as unaware as I was, it never occurred to me that maybe it would be slanted in her favor, you know. So one of the hard, one of the hardest, one of the hardest things I had to do, and I did that with a sponsor, was to take her back to court because she's one of these, she's a very sweet person with an iron will, you know. And and I'm trying not to speak badly of her because this is my part. But one of the scariest things I had to do is go back and challenge the settlement. She wouldn't settle. Um, I. Uh, there was some financial, when I was, I've been with Susan, there were some financial things that directly affected my credit and all this kind of thing due to some conduct she was doing and the situation. I felt, and, and I remember, uh, actually Gary Larkin was helping me. Yeah, and, and he said, I already, why do you think people get divorced? Because I'm pretending how much I love she. He says, because they don't get along. If, they, if you guys got along, you wouldn't get a divorce. So the, the character defect of people pleasing, I had to overcome. And I, the hardest thing I had to do was, you know, my attorney, you do what your attorney says. He says, do not talk to her. She's going to try and sweet talk. And she did. And I didn't talk to her. I put my face away, you know, and all this kind of thing. And I had to get to court and all this stuff. I never experienced this before. The blessing is, is it made me a stronger human being so that, and I'm with the right person. And I'm strong enough for it, you see. But at the time, it just, you know, I mean, my stomach was doing flips every day. But I abstain. Um, oh, we're, we're, okay, one more and then we're... Yes? Um, you talked about not negotiating and 
Well, I understand that. What, what, I mean, I can, and this, this will have to be the last one. Um, you keep coming back. In my case, the issue is getting some help with somebody who I identify with, who I trust. The way it says in the big book, it says the ex-problem drinker armed with the proper facts of himself can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic within hours until such an understanding is reached, little or no progress will be made. So what I would suggest is finding someone, keep looking. It doesn't have to be somebody who stands up as a sponsor, but somebody you think that you can talk to and get real about the food and then be willing to take their suggestion. It's that simple. See, one way, I, a short version of the third step I heard was you do what you're told. Of course, I heard that in an AA meeting. That wouldn't fly here very well, but, you know. Anyway, that's it. Um, it's 625. It's now time for our secretary's announcements. Thank you for letting me. Thank you, Ira.